I know some of you uh, remember that. I heard you singing along. Steve Dolan came out this morning and said, oh, wow, that little girl was Drew Barrymore. I guess so. So anyway, I think she was an E.T. and what have you, but that wasn't in high def, and it actually, when it came out in the early 70s, wasn't all that popular. It ran for five years, but it had low ratings, and they canceled it. But then it was put into syndication and uh, came out in the 80s. Now it's kind of a cult phenomenon. They uh, made a movie in 2002 called The Brady's, Brady Bunch in the White House, and there was a sequel in 1996. It's more popular now than it was then, in higher definition probably. But uh, the, the creator was asked, why do you think that is? And here's what Sherwood Schwartz said. My idea for the sitcom was to show a blended family, but there just weren't that many in the early 70s. But starting in the 80s, remarriage became the norm, and so seeing a blended family with all its challenges made the Bradys a hit. My idea was just a little before its time. I didn't want to conclude this series on redemptive relationships without addressing the need for redemption in relationships in blended families. Because actually, Schwartz is right. It, it is much more of a phenomenon today than it was back then. Every day in the US, 1,300 new blended families are created. 40% of married couples with children in the U.S. represent blended families. And one-third of the weddings today in America bring couples together with children from previous marriages. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, he said, you know, you really ought to remain in the condition in which you were. In fact, if you're single, you may not want to go ahead and get married. You can but I'm just trying to save you some trouble. That's basically what he said. And he, you know, if you're married, you know there's trials. And if you've got a family, they grow. And if you're in a blended family, it can be like you know, trials on steroids. There are just a lot of challenges, actually. And so some of you may hear, be thinking, well, I'm not in a blended family. This message isn't for me. Don't Start checking emails, okay? Hang in here with me, and here's why. Because even if you're not in a blended family, you know somebody in a blended family. We have blended families in our church family, and they need our encouragement and support. So we can all learn something about that and blended families. And also, the principles in this message, they really only apply to those who experience trials. So if you don't have any trials in your life, check out, you know. But if, if you might have any challenges, I think there may be something here for you as well. So let's jump in. Uh, there's an outline in your bulletin. Here's how it begins with this positive note. Blended families can be a train wreck. Isn't that encouraging? It's actually reality. It's true. And you don't have to go very far to see that. In fact, open the first book of the Bible, Genesis and we're introduced to a family that becomes a blended family, and then a train wreck, and that is Abram and Sarai, and the father of our faith, and, and it's like God made that promise to Abram, look, I'm gonna give you a son, and through you and Sarah, he'll bless all the nations of the earth through your lineage, and so they waited and waited, and then Sarai says, 
You know, Abram, I think God's plan may be to bring us a child through my handmaiden. Why don't you sleep with her? And Abram thought that would be okay. He did, and Ishmael was produced from that union. Thirteen years pass, and Sarai conceives, and Isaac, the child of promise, is born. But Ishmael's 13 years old, and the mothers couldn't get along, the boys couldn't get along, and it just got worse and worse until finally Abram said, hey, you can go, and uh, sent Ishmael and Hagar out into the wilderness. And from then until this day, the descendants can't get along, and they're at war with each other. Then there was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, and that would have been Jacob, who had two wives, and their two handmaidens, and through those unions, there were 12 sons and a daughter, and what a mess. I mean, there were all kinds of problems there. There was favoritism and jealousy and hatred, deceit and violence. And so that didn't turn out very well. From Genesis chapter 37 onward, you can see some of the problems throughout the Old Testament. What about by the time we get to David, King David? David had multiple wives with lots of children. Trying to bring that together, it was a nightmare at times. There was in that family hatred and distrust. There was rebellion. There was sexual sin. There was even murder between the siblings. In a blended family, the stress factor is multiplied because of the relationships and what is brought into that circumstance. There's stress over exes uh, and their spouses. There's stress over finances and disagreements relating to that. In a blended family, you bring in a past history where there's often uh, different values, different styles. You also bring into a blended family the fact that it was born, this new family, out of loss and hurt and sometimes sin. And so that's, those are factors that deal, you have to deal with as well. Another thing about blended families is the bond between the parent and child predates that between the newly married couple. And all too often in a blended family, you have folks that maybe weren't that skillful at conflict resolution in some cases, and that's not yet been developed either. And so you put all these things together and you can have a challenging situation. Impossible? No, nothing's impossible with God. And so if we look the right direction, there is certainly hope for blended families. So let's move on from that kind of negative point. Blended families can be a train wreck, but there's great hope for those who look to the Lord in faith. James says this in the first chapter of his letter. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, this was written to Jewish Christians who had been dispersed because of persecution 
in the first century. He was saying, you know, it's a trial, but you know what? It can be joyful because God's doing something to build your faith. That was the primary application, but actually this finds application in all of our lives when we experience trials. I went up to the hospital last night, Queens, because my neighbor has been in there for five weeks. Uh, he's been battling cancer for five years, but then weeks ago he developed a case of shingles. And so I've been to see him about three times now, but this time he looked worse than ever. I have never seen such a case of shingles. I mean, half of his face is just all scabbed over, his eyes closed. And when I got there, he was at the depths. And I'd ridden my bike over, and so I didn't have a Bible. And I said, well, John, I got a scripture for you. And I just quoted this verse to him. I'd been sharing the Lord with him. And I said, you know what? This doesn't sound joyful, seem joyful to you right now. But actually, you can be joyful if you realize that God can use this to help you develop endurance, to trust him, and that your faith will come out stronger, and you'll come out a stronger person in the Lord after this. And I know it encourages his heart, and it does to anyone in a trial if we take James' counsel, and that includes those in blended families. So what is the counsel? Well, he says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now we can't have perfect faith, and we don't need perfect faith, but we need faith in the one who is perfect, and that's Jesus. And we need to ask him for wisdom, and then believe he'll give it and walk forward. You know who this was written by? This was written by a man from a blended family. This was written by James. Now he's the brother of Jesus, and they had the same mother, but they didn't have the same father. And there were problems in that blended family. In fact, the siblings of Jesus we see at different places in the gospel had their concerns and suspicions about Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Never did anything wrong? It's like there'd be a little bit of resentment there, wouldn't there, you know? But I mean, it's like it came to the point where Man, they thought he was insane, that he needed to be rescued when he was teaching in a, a public gathering. Uh, but there came a time when they began to listen and see what he was doing in terms of his miracles, and they came to believe. And James was one of them. And uh, he became later a pillar in the church. And so here's a blended family where they saw it turn out beautifully. And uh, that can happen, actually, if we look to the Lord and ask for wisdom. In a blended family, it's so important that the husband and wife, the mom and dad, look to the Lord and ask for wisdom and seek to walk in his ways and seek to lead those children in the ways of the Lord and together as a family to look for solutions in God's direction and challenges. The scriptures make it real clear to every person in a blended family, that God loves you. Have there been problems? Have there been failures and mistakes? Absolutely. But he's the one who redeems us and uh, picks us up and helps us to move on. You know, if you're married um, and in a blended family, 
sometimes an individual can think, did I, should I have stayed where I was? The deal is you're in that marriage and God wants that marriage to succeed. That's so clear from 1 Corinthians 7. So don't think that, oh, I can go back or maybe I, what if? No, you're where you are and God wants you to know that your marriage and your family can succeed and he is for you in that circumstance. Just look to him. There's no second-class citizens in God's family and has been said so often, the church was never intended to be a hotel for saints but a hospital for sinners. And sinners need wisdom, and so God is welcome or welcomes us and gives it to us when we ask. I'm no expert, certainly, when it comes to blended families. Dee and I had a brief foray into that uh, before we moved to Hawaii when we were in Salt Lake City. There was a divorce in our church, and uh, we brought a couple of teenagers into our home for several months when our boys were small. And I got just a hint of some of the challenges that are related to that. But uh, though I'm no expert, there is good counsel from Scripture. And I have read and listened to some experts in this area. And so I want to share some of the suggestions, some of the bits of wisdom that I believe that offers uh, in the balance of this message. Here's the first. Wisdom dictates don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. You know, marriage can be a lonely place when a couple is not getting along well and they don't know who to turn to. And certainly that's true in a blended family. You feel ostracized and hurt and things just aren't working out. It can be a really lonely place. Shouldn't try to go it alone. In fact, uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Closing ceremonies of the Olympics are tonight. Haven't that been wonderful? It's been just a... Dee and I have really enjoyed watching different parts of the Olympics. There have been some just inspirational stories and some heartbreaking stories. But one in particular I just wanted to mention happened recently with the 5,000 meter race for the women. And uh, you remember there was a collision in that race and the U.S. girl and the New Zealand woman went down. Well, first, the uh, American hung back to help the gal from New Zealand. She got up, they started going on, and then the American girl, uh, Abby D'Agostino, collapsed. And uh, the next thing she knew, she's sitting on on the track in real pain when she feels a hand on her shoulder. And this is what she said. There's a hand on my shoulder like, get up, get up, we have to finish this. Hamblin says, that's Nikki Hamblin from New Zealand. And in fact, they got up, and though she was in a wheelchair, they finished the race, and they were able to go on to the finals. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of how it's supposed to be in a marriage or in relationship with others. But all too often, when somebody stumbles, we just keep sprinting. But no, we're called to help one another up. And that's what needs to happen in your relationship, in your marriage, and in your family. In fact, there are books available that are just excellent. There are websites. I put a couple of them in my article 
and I'd encourage you to check that out. We have a book table on the lanai from our resource library, lots of books that address this, and I would encourage you uh, to check those out as well. Here's a second one. Get real in your expectations when it comes to your blended family. A lot of therapists and researchers and educators aren't even using the term blended family anymore. They're saying, that's a little bit too high of an expectation. Think of a blender, you know, that makes a smoothie and it's all liquid and flows together. Uh, it's not always that smooth in a blended family. Sometimes things happen. And so, instead of a smooth relationship, sometimes instead of a blended family, they say, well, it's more like a casserole or a stew. And uh, you, you're never going to have the same relationship with a biological parent and child that you will with a step-parent and child. It probably just never happen. It can be close, experts say, but may not be ever that close. There is an illustration uh, of a guy named John who, who's asking himself, why doesn't my stepson desire the relationship, the same relationship with me as he does or has with his dad? I mean, his dad's a jerk. His dad makes these promises and doesn't even pick him up. He sometimes forgets his birthdays. Even when he's with his dad, I mean, his dad doesn't seem to give him that much attention. But I've loved this kid for four years and I've poured my life into this kid. What's going on with that? And uh, this person says, well, blood is thicker than a mother's marriage. That every child longs for the affirmation and approval of a parent. And that's really true. God built that into kids. And uh, that's called seeking the blessing. Good news is, is that though none of us received the blessing in any family that we were raised in, God our Father offers a complete and full blessing. But every child is going to seek that, and step-parents need to understand that. Patricia Papernow wrote a book called Becoming a Step Family. She said that it takes on the average seven years in a blended family to reach levels of intimacy and authenticity that you can hope for. Uh, if it goes really fast, maybe four years, a lot of times nine years, but the average is seven years. So that kind of helps with expectations. Ron Deal is an expert Christian counselor in this area, and he uses a, a cooking analogy for this. He said sometimes blended families, they, they take the microwave approach, and they want us to be a real family just right now. And uh, we're going to, kids, you got to call mom, mom and dad, dad, no matter what's, you know, who's your biological parent. But that's a little unrealistic and becomes artificial. He says that some are more like a pressure cooker family where you bring these different values in and uh, different rituals that have been existing in two different families and you force everyone to comply right away and uh, go along with the program and that can just blow the lid off. It takes time to create the kind of relationships that uh, will have that kind of authenticity. So Deal recommends the crock pot. He says that's time and low heat in those relationships where everybody has time to adjust to the new living conditions and new styles of parenting, the rules and the responsibilities. 
Maybe expectations need to be lowered and time needs to be given to that. Here's a, an important principle which I've already alluded to, and that is make your marriage a priority. And that's true for all of us in marriage, by the way. Uh, our marriage, our lives should be Christ-centered. Our marriage should be Christ-centered, and our family should be marriage-centered, not child-centered. Because if a couple gives priority to their marriage relationship, then they are in a place to minister health and blessing to the children. But if it's all about the children, it'll fracture that relationship and not even be good for the children. And so that's so important that couples work on their marriages, that they read books together, that they go to classes together. We offer them in our church and, and that they continually grow in their marriage. Some of the best uh, marriage speakers I've ever heard would be Dr. Norman Smalley. And uh, he passed away recently and his son Greg said, hey, to his mother before he spoke at the service, what advice do you have? She said, keep growing. She said, I was married to your father for 52 years, and he irritated me for 26 years, half of this marriage. <laughs> well, keep growing, she said. Don't ever stop growing. You know, um, if you're divorced and not yet remarried, good counsel is go slow. Don't step into another marriage quickly for your sake and for the sake of the children. And the best advice is get whole and get dependent on the Lord rather than looking for someone that you can depend on in marriage. If you get strong and dependent on the Lord, then you can move into, if the Lord so wills, uh, a relationship where you're interdependent and both trusting on the Lord. Divorce rates... Pastor Cal mentioned in a message a couple weeks ago when he spoke about it, are for the first marriage 46%, for the second marriage 60%, for the third marriage 75%. And one of the factors, one of the factors that makes that true would be the complexity that blended families, children coming into those marriages offer. So you need to realize marriage is often the weakest link in a blended family and that needs to be continually strengthened because God wants your marriage and your family to be a success. And by the way, we have many successful blended families here at KCC and that's because those families are looking to the Lord in faith. Here's another one. Help your children heal and grow. Children need it. We say children are resilient. Yes, they are but they are damaged and hurt deeply by divorce. In fact, Judith Wallerstein and some associates wrote a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce, and here's what she writes. One of the many myths of our culture is that divorce automatically rescues children from an unhappy marriage. However, when one looks at the thousands of children that my colleagues and I have interviewed at our center since 1980, most of whom were from moderately unhappy marriages that ended in divorce, one message is clear. The children do not say they are happier. Rather, they say flatly, the day my parents divorced is the day my childhood died. Wow. A lot of times, a step-parent will look to their own child more as a peer rather than as a child, and they're brought right into adulthood too quickly. 
Studies show that children of divorce all too often blame themselves for the breakup. They don't know the particulars that led to the divorce, and sometimes they shouldn't, but they're left in the dark in that, and they end up often blaming themselves and having these fantasies about, wow, if, if you know, mom and dad come back together or when they get back together, and sometimes those dreams last on into remarriages. And so these children need help. They need counseling. They need love and time and encouragement. And parents need to help those dreams dissipate very slowly. When it comes to dealing with exes and their spouses, I can't imagine how frustrating that can be. Because sometimes there's hostility, anger, unforgiveness. But the Apostle Paul said, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And that would certainly include exes with whom you've had challenges. And here's the thing. Never badmouth a child's parent. No matter what, don't, don't do that because that's always going to be their parent. And that will be counterproductive for that child and for you. Don't ever, experts say, try to coax that children or that child into not going for a visit or making them feel guilty if they want to spend time with another parent. Don't compare family situations and living conditions of the two families, but just be the most positive influence that you can in that child's life. If you're not the custodial parent, silence speaks volumes into that child's life. When you're not there, when you don't show up, and I read one account of just a picture of a kid on a bed with their bag packed waiting for dad to come for the weekend and uh, waiting for that eternal hour and finally crying himself to sleep because dad didn't show up. That happens. And when that happens, that is heartbreaking to a child. That happens when a kid's waiting f for a, a dad or mom to, to be there for that ball game or that school play or for that concert and there's no show. So I would just encourage you, be cautious about making promises, but make commitments and then keep those commitments because that child is counting on you in that circumstance. Mostly, we need to live, all of us, as Christ said, putting the interests of others before our own desires and interests. Here's one that I think is so important. Get it together on discipline. That's true for all parents. <laughs> Certainly true in a blended family. Discipline can become a battleground. And in step families, blended families, so often uh, one parent will just say, you're too easy on your kid and you're too hard on my child. And sometimes it's true. But I think uh, some important counsel would be get it together, have a plan that comes from Scripture and good counsel and agree on that plan and administer discipline accordingly. And one expert I, I read said this, and I think it's excellent, that uh, it takes a relationship to administer discipline, and that takes time. And so especially early on, it's important that discipline be meted out by the biological parent, but made clear that the decision came from both parents so that the child knows the parents are on the same page when it comes to discipline. Any of you that have been parents know that Kids are experts at playing one parent against another, and uh, that is only exaggerated in a blended family. So 
It's important to get it together when it comes to discipline and then to seek to be consistent as possible once those boundaries are set up. One more, and that is work hard at resolving conflict, committed to love and forgiveness. Solomon said that pride leads to conflict. When you think about it, wow, it's really true. Think of the conflicts that we have and the relationships. And sometimes it's our own pride that just has caused it or exacerbates that conflict. And if that's true, then humility is important in resolving those conflicts. Coming in with a low posture, uh, not demanding that we be right, but seeking peace and resolution. Paul offers counsel to all of us in Ephesians 4. He's talking in the context of marriage, but this relates to any relationship when he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If you're a child of God, if you've received Christ's forgiveness, how much did God forgive you? The whole thing, right? And so that's what we, it's incumbent upon us to extend that to spouses, exes, and their spouses, children, stepchildren, and one another. Forgiveness is vital. It's not a feeling. It's an action, just like Christ was towards us. Now, James says that if we ask for wisdom and we trust the Lord, that that will give us endurance that's what we need. They say that uh, blended families where there's a breakup usually happens in the first two or three years. But I read a statistic that if couples ready to bail out of a marriage will choose to stick it out, five years later, two-thirds of them say they are in a happy marriage. But we think in our society, well, we need instant happiness, and that's the way to go is just to bail out. But it's actually an illusion. And what we need to do in that circumstance is trust the Lord. Unless it's an abusive situation or some that Pastor Cal talked about a couple weeks ago. But generally, we need to hang in there and trust God and see Him develop our faith and bring us to maturity in the meantime. Now, some of you, when it comes to the family of God, you may feel like a stepchild. But I want to tell you something. There are no stepchildren in the family of God. God is not a stepfather. He's our heavenly father. And the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God, and that's positionally sons. So every daughter, every son is a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So if you ever wonder if God accepts you fully, if you have full status in his family, lay that to rest. You do. You're a full-fledged member of his family, and he invites you, as Jesus said, to come to him as your heavenly father. He's a good, good God, as we sang about earlier. He wants to bless our marriages, our remarriages, Take us where we are and help us to walk by faith in him and to become the people, the family that he's called us to be. We need to encourage one another as we look to him in faith. And you know what? We are related to him by blood. 
the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross for our sins. And that brings us right into the presence of God. We'll celebrate that. We'll remember that in a few moments in communion. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, thank you for the hope that you give to us, the help that you give to us, the healing and the forgiveness and all your blessings day by day in your presence and promises. So, Lord, I just pray that together we can move forward in faith, looking to you in encounters that we trial and even to consider it joy, knowing that the outcome uh, is completeness, maturity in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.